Our topic for tonight is the Antichrist. And? 666. Tonight we're going to start with a warning. Warning, what you are about to hear tonight may be very disturbing. Tonight we're going to identify who the Antichrist beast of Revelation 13 is. And for some of you, this topic is going to be shocking. For some of you, this topic may be disturbing. For some of you here, this is going to be the most fascinating prophetic presentation you've ever heard in your whole life. And for some of you, this topic is simply going to affirm what you had already known or suspected. But whatever the case may be, I want to assure you tonight that what we're going to present is the truth. And Jesus tells us we can know the truth. Jesus says you shall know the truth, and the truth will what? Will make you free. However, sometimes the truth hurts. But God does not send the truth to hurt us. He sends the truth to enlighten us and to save us so that we don't end up worshiping the beast at end time. And that is one of the reasons why God warns us about this beast. Let's go notice that warning again. Revelation 13, 1 through 3. The description of this antichrist beast. Let's notice the description here again. Revelation 13, 1 through 3. Revelation 13, 1. And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. Verse 2. And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a Lion. lion, and the... Dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. And I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast. Is this a literal animal? Have you ever seen this animal at the zoo? No. No. who, Who or what is this beast? Well, we know that this beast is a symbol of the Antichrist. All Bible scholars of all churches agree that this is a symbol of the Antichrist. However, we saw that a beast represents a what? A kingdom. A kingdom. Daniel 7, verse 23 again. He said, the fourth beast shall be the fourth what? The fourth kingdom. So a beast represents a kingdom or a nation. That means that the Antichrist beast of Revelation 13 has to be some kingdom. Not just an evil man at end time, but it also is a kingdom because a beast represents a kingdom. Let's review those four beasts from Daniel 7. This is a bit of review from part one of the Antichrist. The lion beast with eagle's wings represented what kingdom? Babylon. Babylon. How about the bear raised up on one side? Persia. Symbol of Medo-Persia. This is all review. If you missed that, well, you'll want to get the recording or the lesson. How about the leopard that had four heads and four wings? Represented what kingdom? Greece. Greece. And the dragon beast with ten horns symbolized? Rome. Rome. We saw that that fourth beast had? It had ten horns. And we knew, we saw that those ten horns were the ten divisions that sprang out of the ancient Roman Empire. Here's a map of those original ten divisions, and we have seven of those kingdoms with us today, and three have become extinct. The Heruli, the Vandals, and the Ostrogoths, they are now extinct. Prophecy told us why they became extinct. We saw last time a little horn arose to power, uprooted three others. Let's read that again in review from Daniel 7, verse 8. Daniel 7, verse 8 says, and I considered the horns. So what's he looking at? He's looking at the horns, but the horns, where were they? Western Europe. So he's looking over there in Western Europe. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another little horn, or little kingdom, before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouse speaking great things. So as Daniel looks over the area of Western Europe where the ten were located, he sees coming up among the ten this other little horn that had eyes in it. And when this little horn arises to power, three other 
horns, kingdoms, go. They are uprooted. Daniel 7, verse 8. The question for us tonight is, who is this little horn? That's the question we want to ask tonight. We found out in part one of the Antichrist that the little horn of Daniel 7 and the beast of Revelation 13 both symbolize the same thing. Both are symbols of the Antichrist. And Daniel wanted to know who this little horn was. Let's read that again from Daniel 7, verses 19 and 20. Then I would know the truth, says Daniel, of the fourth beast, which was diverse from all the others, exceeding dreadful, whose teeth were of iron and his nails of brass, which devoured, break in pieces, and stamped the residue with his feet. He wanted to know the truth. The truth will do what? Truth will make you free. And of the ten horns that were in his head, and of the other which came up, and before whom three fell, even of that horn that had eyes, and a mouth that spake very great things, whose look was more stout than his fellows. So Daniel says, I want to know the truth about all these things, but especially about that little horn. Would you like to know the truth of the little horn? Who is that little horn? Well, there is a saying that people say sometimes, what I don't know can't hurt me. Is that true? No, that's not true at all. Suppose, for example, that my arteries are getting all clogged up with cholesterol and I don't know it. Can it hurt me? Yes. It could kill me. And suppose I go to the doctor and he gives me an exam. He says, Lowell, you have elevated cholesterol levels. You better change your lifestyle or you may have a stroke or a heart attack. Is that good news? Not at all. Bad news. So what should I do? I should get mad at the doctor for telling me such unpleasant information, right? I should be willing. I should be glad that the doctor told me the truth, even though the truth hurt. Well, folks, tonight, this may hurt. Did you ever go to the hospital and the nurse pulls out that syringe and says, this may hurt? This may hurt tonight, this topic, as we expose who the Antichrist is. Uh, Maybe I should ask you, how many of you want the truth, even if it hurts? Would you like us to continue? How many, of us, how many would like us to continue this presentation? Let me see your hands. Are you sure? Well, we were planning to continue anyway, weren't we? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but now we know that you want us to. You're not going to get up and go storming out of here just because you hear something that maybe you never thought of before. God does not name this little horn. But he gives us enough clues that it becomes obvious what the little horn represents. And we'll be amazed at all the clues that we discover. We've we've discovered ten clues already. Yes, this is a review from part one. Let's go through these ten clues. Number one, among the ten, it arises among the ten, which would of course be in Western Europe. Daniel 7 verse 8, the ten were there in Western Europe. That's number one. Number two, it would come up after the ten. Daniel 7, verse 24 told us. Or sometime after 476, because that's when the ten appeared. And then number three, it would be a little horn or a little kingdom. Daniel 7, verse 8. This is all review. You got this in the notes from number one, Antichrist number one. And then our fourth clue, it uproots three, Daniel 7, verse 8. And those three we know from history, they were the Heruli, the Vandals, and the Ostrogoths. And then number five, it would have a human leader. And we got that from Daniel 7, verse 8. Because verse 8 said that this horn had eyes like the eyes of a man. Of a man. And then number six, it would be different or diverse from all the other horns or all the other kingdoms. We got that from Daniel 7, verse 24. And then number seven, it would be a blaspheming power, Daniel 7, verse 25. And we already saw one definition of blasphemy last time we had our study on the Antichrist. We saw that blasphemy, according to John 10, is when a man makes himself God on earth. That's one definition of blasphemy. Let's add a second definition of blasphemy tonight from the Bible. And this one we're going to get from Luke chapter 5, 20 and 21. You can add that now to your notes. 
Luke 5, 20 and 21, the Bible tells us, And when he, that's Jesus, saw their faith, he said unto him, Man, thy sins are forgiven thee. This is the story of when they opened up the roof and they let this paralyzed man down in Jesus' presence because it was so crowded. And Jesus says to this man, Your sins are forgiven you. Wouldn't you like to hear those words from Jesus yourself? Man or woman, your sins are forgiven you. Wouldn't you love to hear those words? Well, you can. When you confess your sins to Jesus, those words are for you. It's just as if he says to you, man or lady, your sins are forgiven. But somebody took offense. Let's read on. Verse 21 says, And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this which speaketh, what? Blasphemies. Blasphemies. Who can forgive sins but God alone? So the second Bible definition of blasphemy is when a man claims to have the power to forgive us of sins. Was that blasphemy for Jesus? No, he's God. He can forgive us of sin. But if any man would claim to have power to forgive us of sin, according to the Bible, that would be blasphemy. So number seven, this power blasphemes God, claiming to be God on earth and claiming the right to forgive sin. Let's go to number eight. Number eight. Persecuting, we got that from Daniel 7, 21 and 25, where it said the little horn would make war with the saints and overcome them. And then number nine, the little horn would change law, change God's law. We got that from Daniel 7, verse 25. And then number 10, we saw that the little horn would rule for 1,260 years. And we also got that from Daniel 7, verse 25. Time, times, and half a time. How long is that? Well, a time, that's one year. Times, that's two years. Half a time would be half a year. That's three and a half years. And in the Bible, there were 30 days to a month. Three and a half years would be 1,260 prophetic days. That was from Revelation 12, verse 14 and verse 6, for those of you taking notes. 1260 prophetic days, time, one year, times, two years, half a time, half a year, three and a half years, 1260 prophetic days. But we already learned that in prophecy, a day represents a year. A year. That's in the prophetic parts of the Bible. Any other time, a day is how long? 24 hours. But when you're studying prophecy, where you have symbols, a day in prophecy represents, symbolizes, a year. We got that from Ezekiel 4.6, Numbers 14.34. In Bible prophecy, one prophetic day equals one literal year. So we have 1,260 prophetic days. How many literal years? That would be 1,260 literal years. That this power would rule. We got that. That was number 10. Now we're going to add an 11th clue tonight, and this is the clue that will be so obvious for everyone. But before we add this 11th clue, we want to make a couple of important points. The first point comes from the Bible. 1 Timothy 2, verses 4 and 5. 1 Timothy 2, 4 and 5. Bible says, Who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth? This what is, truth does God want us all to know? Well, let's read verse 5. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ. Christ Jesus. How many mediators between God and men? One. One mediator between God and man. And what is his name? Jesus. Jesus Christ. Now, the Antichrist system we're about to identify puts many mediators between God and man. The second point we want to make before we go any farther is that truth is not against sincere people. Truth is against error. No doubt in an audience this big, there may be people here that are affiliated or connected in some way with the system we're about to identify. And we want to make it very clear that we're going to identify a kingdom, not sincere people that might be in some way connected to that kingdom. And perhaps I could illustrate it this way. We spent some years working in the country of Ukraine after the fall of communism. And we found the Ukrainian people are some of the most warm, friendly, hospitable people 
of any people group in the world. They're almost as friendly as Filipinos. However, the Ukrainian government is the most backward, disorganized, corrupt government of any government we've ever seen. Most Ukrainians would agree with that. So can you see there's a difference between the kingdom and the people? Do you see that? Uh, Maybe I could illustrate it another way. During World War II, Hitler led the German people in a war with the world. If you had been a German living back then, would that mean that you were a bad person because you were German? No, my in-laws are both German, immigrated to America. My wife was born in America, but she's 100% German, sweetest German in the world, my wife. So can you see the difference between the people and the kingdom? Is that clear? If you can clearly see the difference, let me see your hand. I want to make sure this is clear. All right, so we're identifying a kingdom Not sincere people that might be in some way connected to this kingdom. That was our second point. So let's go on now to number 11 and add our 11th clue. And this clue, we will actually see, we saw that the beast of Revelation 13 and the little horn of Daniel 7 both symbolize the Antichrist. Both of these symbols represent the Antichrist. And so we're going to go to Revelation 13 to get our next clue. Revelation 13, verse 2, the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. Now, we know that the dragon symbolizes Satan, but it also secondarily represents Rome. In Daniel 7, the dragon-like beast symbolized which kingdom? Rome. Rome. And so the Bible says the dragon, Rome, gave him the Antichrist beast, his power and his seat and great authority. Every government has a seat. The seat of the Philippine government is where? (laughs) Right here in Manila. Where is the seat of the Indonesian government? Jakarta. Where is the seat of the American government? Washington, Washington, D.C. Where was the seat of the ancient Roman Empire or kingdom? Well, the seat of Rome was the city of Rome. And the Bible said, watch this, Revelation 13, 2, the dragon, Rome, gave him, the Antichrist beast, his power and his seat or capital city and great authority. So our 11th clue, did you get it? Number 11, this would have to be a kingdom based in the city of Rome. When you put number three, a little kingdom, together with number 11, based in Rome, it becomes pretty clear what God is identifying in prophecy. Who can tell us? What little kingdom based in Rome fits these 11 clues? That's the Vatican Kingdom. Kingdom. Now, we're going to stop right here. This is not an attack on Catholics. There have been, and there still are today, many wonderful saints within the system. Like Mother Teresa. I believe there'll be many Roman Catholics in heaven. In fact, I believe there'll be people in heaven from every church. I think there'll be people in the other place, the hot place, from every church, too. So we're not talking about churches here. We're talking about a kingdom. And it's also true that many Roman Catholics don't necessarily agree with all the traditions and all the dogmas and all the requirements that come from Vatican. So this is not an... We're looking at a kingdom tonight. Don't, Don't forget that. But question, is the Vatican a kingdom? Well, yes, it is. Did you know that more than 174 nations have diplomatic relations with the Vatican kingdom? Including the Philippines. You have an ambassador to the Vatican. So does America. We have an ambassador to the Vatican because the Vatican is a kingdom. Let's go back through those 11 clues and see if they all fit the Vatican. Number one, it would come up among the ten or over there in Western Europe. Does that fit? Yes. Yes, Vatican is over there in Western Europe, in Italy, in the heart of Rome. So number one fits. How about number two after 476? Well, let's read what history says. It actually arose to power in 538. 
Let's read a quote from history. AD 538 was the year when the Ostrogoths collapsed. It was out of the smoking ruins of the Western Roman Empire and after the overthrow of the three Aryan kingdoms. What were those three kingdoms? The Harry Alive, the Vandals, and the Ostrogoths. Vandals and Ostrogoths. That the Pope of Rome emerged as the most important single individual in the West. Reading on. The head of a closely organized church with a carefully defined creed and with vast potential for political influence. Dozens of writers have pointed out that the real survivor of the ancient Roman Empire was the Church of Rome. That was from E.G. McKenzie, the book Catholic Church, page 14. So number two fits. How about number three, a little kingdom, a little horde. Does that fit, Vatican? Yes. Vatican only occupies 44 hectares. It is the world's smallest independent nation, and yet it is the most influential kingdom on the face of the globe, as well as being the wealthiest nation on the face of the globe. Here's what the encyclopedia says under the term Vatican. Vatican City, an independent state under the absolute authority of the Pope of the Roman Catholic Church. It is an enclave within Rome, Italy, with an area of 44 hectares. The smallest independent country in the world, Vatican City, was established in 1929 under the terms of the Lateran Treaty. You say, well, I thought it was 538. Well, it was. It was later abolished, and then it was reestablished in 1929. We'll see that later tonight. But please notice this is the world's smallest independent state. The Bible calls it a little horn or a little kingdom. Well, let's go on now to number three, or number four, rather. It would uproot three. We know from history those three were the Hairy Lie, the Vandals, and the Ostrogoths. And they were primarily uprooted because they refused to acknowledge the supremacy of the Bishop of Rome. So number four fits. And it's interesting, the Ostrogoths, the last of those three, was overthrown in the year 538. Let's go to number five, a human leader. Who's that? That's the Pope. And what's interesting, there's a very unique situation right now at the Vatican. There's actually two popes. You know that. There's the retired Pope, Benedict, and then there's the acting Pope, Francis. Two popes living together, apparently in peace, as far as we can tell, there in the Vatican. Very unique situation. So, yes, does have a human leader, number five. Let's go on now to number six, diverse or different. And what does history reveal? Here's a quote. Out of the ruins of the Roman Empire, there gradually arose a new order of states whose central point was the papal see. Therefore, inevitably, resulted a position not only new, but very different from the former. So history says very different, and prophecy said it would be diverse. It would be different. And of course, it's different because all the other kingdoms in Europe are civil powers, whereas the Vatican is a church in a state united, where a church controls the state. So it's very different. So number six fits. Let's go on to number seven, blasphemy. Blasphemy is when a man claims to be God on earth or when a man claims the power to forgive sin. We saw that from John 10, 33 and Luke 5, 21. Does the Pope claim to be God on earth? Here is a statement from Pope Leo XIII, who said, We hold upon this earth the place of God Almighty. End of quote. Here is a statement from the book Eucharistic Meditations. Speaking of the Pope, it says, Thou art a priest forever, says the ordaining bishop. He is no longer a man, a sinful child of Adam, but an altar Christos, another Christ. Forever a priest of the Most High with power over the Almighty. End of quote. Please notice he's called another Christ. Did you know that in the original Greek, the word anti means another, a substitute? Antichrist, another Christ. That's what it literally means in the Bible. Interesting. And here is another statement, the Catholic National, July 1895. The Pope is not only the representative of Jesus Christ, 
but he is Jesus Christ himself hidden under the veil of flesh. The Bible calls that what? Blasphemy. Here's another one. This is from the New York Catechism taken from Roman Catholicism, page 127. He, that's the Pope, is the infallible ruler, the supreme judge of heaven and earth, the judge of all, being judged by no one, God himself on earth. The Bible calls that blasphemy. We also found out that blasphemy is when a man claims the power to forgive sin. This is a very interesting picture. You see there the automatic confession machine. They now have these websites where you can go and you can type in your sin and it will tell you what you have to do to be absolved of your sin. How many Hail Marys or Our Fathers you got to say or whatever. And you can get a head start on the confessional process. Still have to go and confess at least once a year, but I guess now that we have the internet, it's making it easy. Or if you have a smartphone. Here's a statement from the book, The Catholic Priest, page 78. Seek where you will through heaven and earth, and you will find one created being who can forgive the sinner, who can free him from the chains of hell. That extraordinary being is the priest, the Roman Catholic priest, end of quote. Well, son, do we need a priest to approach God? Yes, we do. Do we have a priest to approach God? Yes, we do. What's his name? Jesus Christ. What's the Bible say? The Bible says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. We don't need any earthly mediators. We don't need a pope or a priest or a saint. We can go to Jesus directly in prayer. He is our mediator. And the Bible tells us, St. John tells us in 1 John, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he, that's Jesus, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You can go directly to Jesus and confess your sins. That's the best confessional. And I might mention, if you are a Roman Catholic, there are many Catholics today that confess their sins directly to Jesus. I've had Catholics tell me that. They say, I don't like to go to confessional, especially the way the, the priests are now, some of them drinking too much alcohol or having affairs with these boys, all the scandals that the, some of the priests are involved with. And so many Catholics, they're now confessing directly to Jesus, which the Bible allows for, 1 John 1, verse 9. There's only one time when you should confess to a person. Matthew 6, verses 12 through 15, we should confess to a person if we wronged, if we hurt the individual. Matthew 6, 12 through 15. So if you hurt somebody, don't go to the priest and confess to him, unless you hurt the priest. Go to the person that you did wrong to and confess to them. And then, of course, you still have to confess ultimately to God because he's the one that forgives us of sin. So number seven fits. Let's go on now to number eight. Number eight, persecuting. Let's see if this one fits. We'll read a statement from history here from the British historian, historian William Edward Leckie. He said that the Church of Rome has shed more innocent blood than any other institution that has ever existed among mankind, will be questioned by no Protestant who has a competent knowledge of history. That's what history tells us. The Church of Rome itself estimated that it put 50 million plus people to death during the Dark Ages. It was in the year 2000 when Pope John Paul publicly apologized to the world for what happened during the Dark Ages. So the Church actually admits to this persecuting. Let's go now to number nine, change God's law. Does that to fit the Vatican also? Let's find out. Here is a decretal from Rome which says the Pope has power to change times, to abrogate, that means to abolish laws, and to dispense with all things, even the precepts of Christ. Does he have that kind of power? Well, he claims to. And yes, they do claim to have changed God's law. Let's notice that from the catechism. This is from page 49. Question, what is the second commandment? 
Answer, the second commandment is, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Tell me, son, is that the second commandment? No. What is the second commandment? Here's the second commandment from the Bible, Exodus 24 and 5. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. That commandment is not in the catechism. It's been taken out, the one about bowing down before graven images. And you can understand why they would want to take that out. It's also left out of the Lutheran catechism. For those of you who may be Lutheran, they also left that commandment out of their catechism. That's not the only change to God's law. Here's another one, page 50 of this same book. Question, which is the Sabbath day? Answer, Saturday is the Sabbath day. Question, this is in the catechism, why do we observe Sunday instead of Saturday? Answer, because the Catholic Church transferred solemnity from Saturday to Sunday. So it's as if the church says, yes, we changed God's law. We did it, just like the prophecy had predicted. Here is a statement from a Catholic priest in the St. Catherine Catholic Church Sentinel Magazine, 1995. He said, perhaps the boldest thing, the most revolutionary change, the church, Church of Rome, ever did happened in the first century. The holy day, the Sabbath, was changed, not from any directions noted in the scriptures, but from the church's sense of its own power. People who think that the scriptures should be the sole authority, or the only authority, that is, should logically become Seventh-day Adventists and keep Saturday holy, end of quote. So this Catholic priest says, look, if you want to make the Bible your guide, then go join those Adventists and keep Saturday. That comes from a Catholic priest. Notice God's law was changed. The second commandment was removed. Fourth commandment was changed. Well, that left nine commandments. And so what happened, they divided the 10th commandment into two commandments, so there would still be 10 commandments. Now, if you don't believe me, you can get out your own catechism and see for yourself. The catechism verifies this. God's law has been changed. So number nine fits. Let's go on now to number 10, rules for 1260 years. And let's see if that also fits. We know that period started in 538, and you count off 1260 years, 538 plus 1260 is 1798. What happened in 1798? Well, here's what history tells us, the encyclopedia. In 1798, he, Berthier, that's Napoleon's general, he made his entrance into Rome, abolished the papal government, and established a secular one. What year was that? 1798. 1798, exactly according to the prophecy. 1260 years, probably to the day, as far as we can tell from history, to the very day the Vatican, the papal government, was abolished. So number 10 fits. How about number 11, based in Rome? Does that fit Vatican? Well, of course, the Vatican is based in Rome. The Bible says the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. Here's what a historian said. Professor Labianca from the University of Rome, professor of history, he said, to the succession of the Caesars came the succession of the pontiffs in Rome. When Constantine left Rome, he gave his, his what? His seat to the pontiff. End of quote. The Bible said that we get his seat from the dragon. So we can see tonight that all 11 of these clues very clearly fit the Vatican kingdom. And again, we're not talking about Catholic people. We're identifying a kingdom tonight. And the Bible told us that I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death. Revelation 13, verse 3. That happened in 1798 when Pope Pius, the, I think it was the 11th, or the sixth, Pope Pius, was taken away and died in exile in Valence, France. And the French said there'd never be another pope. Hmm. But the Bible said, and his deadly wound was healed. When did it heal? 
1929, headline news, San Francisco Chronicle. Mussolini and Gaspari sign historic Roman pact. And in the newspaper, it said this. The Roman question tonight was a thing of the past, and the Vatican was at peace with Italy because Italy was giving back the property to the Vatican. In affixing the autographs to the memorable document, doing what? Healing the wound, extreme cordiality was displayed on both sides. The Bible said, and his deadly wound was healed. What year? 1929. That's why the encyclopedia says Vatican was established 1929 as an independent nation. And today, world leaders from many different kingdoms and nations go to the Vatican for counsel and for guidance. Or advice. That brings us to something very interesting. When you look at prophecy in Revelation 13, you discover there are actually two beasts. The first beast that we've been discussing, the Antichrist beast that comes up out of the sea, we have identified as the Vatican Kingdom. But there's a second beast in Revelation 13 that comes up out of the earth. And there are many Bible scholars that believe that the second beast is actually a symbol of the United States of America. There are two beasts in Revelation 13 symbolizing the two most powerful nations at end time. Vatican and the United States. Which one you think is more powerful? The Vatican. Take a look at this picture. Please notice who is bowing to who. That's our former president bowing to the former pope. And here's a picture of our current president, again, bowing to the retired pope there. So you can get an idea of which kingdom really has more power in the world. Vatican. And that's no doubt why God has symbolized this kingdom in prophecy. This kingdom has so much influence at end time. We found out a beast represents a kingdom or a nation. And we've identified what kingdom that is tonight. But that brings us to another point. What about 666? We're going to add that as our 12th clue. If you are listing these, and we read about this from Revelation 13, verse 8. Let's read it. Revelation 13, 8. Here is wisdom. Let him that has understanding count the number of the beast, of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 603 score and 6. What's that? 666. Please notice tonight, the mark of the beast is not 666. 666 is what? Number is the number of the beast. What's the mark of the beast? Well, you've got to come back tomorrow. We're going to study that tomorrow. But 666 is the number of the beast. Let's prove that from Revelation 13, 17, which says, And that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. So do you see those are three separate issues? There is the mark, there is the name, and there is the number. What's the number? 666. What's the mark? We'll come back tomorrow. We're going to study that. But notice this is his number. And if you'd like another text showing that the mark and the number are two separate things, put down Revelation 15, verse 2. Another text. Here is a very interesting history of 666. You're looking at a picture of a tomb of the grave of one of the popes who named himself Sixtus. There were five popes who called themselves Sixtus, which was Latin, of course, for six. And on this crown of the grave here of the pope, you can see there is a occultic pyramid, and underneath the occultic pyramid are six entwining serpents. Now, why would you have six entwining serpents on the crown of a pope who named himself Six. Well, I'll tell you why, son. Six was a sacred number in the ancient world relating to the worship of the sun. In fact, this is a picture of some solar coins, ancient coins. And you'll notice there, if you look carefully at the top coin, you can see the sun above this individual. And in the bottom coin, you'll see the sun and the moon. It says solus and loon. These were commemorating the heavenly bodies, the sun and the moon. 
And on the back of these coins is a set of mystic numbers. We have them out here on the right so you can read them. And if you add these numbers up in any direction, they add up to 111. Add them up vertically, add up to 111. Add them horizontally, they add up to 111. Add them diagonally, they add up to 111. And there are six columns. Six columns, each adding up to 111, gives you a total of what? Six, six, six. A total of six, six, six. And if you look carefully, you can see six, six, six right on this one coin there at the bottom. That was a sacred number that was always associated with the worship of the sun. Six, six, six. Remember that. And the Bible said, here is wisdom. Let him that has understanding count the number of the beast. For it is the number of a barcode and his... Uh, is that what it oh, said? it is the number of a man. Not a credit card? No. Not an implant? No. It is the number of a man and his number is 600, three score and six. But, but it's, a, oh. it's also the number of the beast. And what else? And verse 17 says, it's the number of his name. So it's the number of three things number of his name, it's the number of a man, and it's the number of the beast. And if you put all that together, you get the number of the name of the man at the head of the beast power. Because it's the number of a man, it's the number of his name, and it's the number of the beast. Number of the name of the man at the head of the beast power. Well, is there a man at the head of the beast power, son? Well, yes, there is. That's the Pope. Does he have a name? Yes. Yes, he has an official title in Latin. Here is from Our Sunday Visitor. That's a Catholic magazine back in 1915. We read, the letters on the Pope's mitre are these, Vicarius Filii Dei, which is Latin for Vicar of the Son of God. <clears throat> this was on the Pope's mitre. So many people were adding up the value of that name and finding out what it added up to. They took that name off the mitre. But every time a new pope is coronated, he's called the Vicarious Filii Dei. That's his official title, or one of his official titles. And that title means Vicar of the Son of God. What's vicar mean? Substitute. Substitute. Now, let me show you right from the concordance. The word anti, you've heard of antichrist. The word anti in Greek means... Substitution. substitution or substitute. So even his name identifies him for who he is. Vicarious Filii Dei is Latin for Vicar of the Son of God. But you say, well, that was all the way back in 1915. Do we have any modern proof? Yes. Here is all the way in 2013, so almost 100 years later. Same publication, Our Sunday Visitor. Our Sunday visitor, 2013, this is Father Ryland here, and he was asked, what are the words inscribed on the Pope's mitre, and what do they signify? And then he answers, the words are vicarious fili dei, Latin for the Pope's title, vicar of the Son of God. The Pope's what? The Pope's title. His title. The title attests to the fact that the Pope has inherited the role of St. Peter's, as Christ's earthly head of the Catholic Church. Since the time of Pope Gregory the Great, he was pontiff from 590 to 604, the Pope's favorite title for themselves have been Servus Servorum Dei, Servant of the Servants of God. So this Catholic priest admits that Vicarious Filii Dei, that's one of the Pope's official titles. Now that we know what his title is, the Bible says... You have to count the number. It's not that you have 666 written out somewhere. You have to count the number to arrive at 666. And they had an ancient method of doing this. They would add up the numerical value of the letters in a person's name, and that was the number of their name. You know that this is Latin, Roman numerals, and you know that in Roman numerals, certain letters have certain value, Right? For example, here's a clock. It does not have numbers on it. It has Latin letters on it. But you know what those Latin letters signify, right? The I is how much? How about the V? How about X? Well, let's back up for just a moment. Please notice that's how they spell museum in Italy. 
V and U are the same in Italian, that's, or in Latin, that's five. And what does X stand for? That's ten. Let's try a little farther. How about L? How about C? One hundred. Oh, you're smart. And D? Five hundred. You remember this from school, right? When they would give you the date in Latin and you had to translate that into numbers. So we're familiar with Latin letters. We know that in Latin letters, certain letters have certain value. Now that we know that, let's look at his title. Here is his title, Vicarious Philly Day. Let's add it up. V is 5, I is 1, C is 100, A is nothing, R is nothing. Now back up. A and R, some letters have no value, and A and R have no value. I is 1, U is 5, and S is nothing. That's 112. Then the next word, Philly, Philly 0, F is 0, I is 1, L is 50, I is 1, I is 1. That's 53. And then the last word, day, D is 500, E is nothing, I is 1, that's 501. What do you suppose all of that would add up to? 666. Yes, it does add up to 666. And you don't have to write this down. You're going to get it as a handout. I don't know if it's tonight or tomorrow night, but you'll get this documentation. So we have our 12th clue, number 12666. Now, if your name added up to 666, would that make you the Antichrist? No. You have to fit all other 11 points. It's interesting that the popes, just like the emperors, chose names that would add up to 666. The ancient pagan emperors that considered themselves the representative of the sun god on earth chose names that added up to 666. Why? Because that was the sacred number. And so when the popes came along following the emperors, they also chose names that added up to that same sacred number, 666. So our last clue is 666. Sort of like going looking for a house. Somebody tells you the color of the house. They tell you what the house looks like. They tell you what the street it's on. And then they give you the number of the house. Now you know you can find the right place. And it's just as if God gives us the number of this kingdom so that we can know we have correctly identified the system. One more thing we should note tonight. This is a statement from the retired Pope Benedict who said, The Roman Catholic Church is wiser than the Bible, the Word of God, and is capable of contradicting it. I kindly disagree with Pope Benedict on that. I don't believe any church is wiser than the Bible. We must use the Bible as our test of truth. But I want you to notice here as you look at the picture, this is of the retired pope before Francis was elected. If you look carefully at what he's wearing on his feet, what color are his shoes? Blood red. Why? Why did Benedict choose to wear red shoes? We'll come back and answer that on Sunday night. Sunday night. Again, we've cha- I think we had it scheduled for Saturday night. We're going to do it actually on Sunday night. We'll explain. We'll show you, even I think it's from uh, the professor of Notre Dame University. He tells why Benedict chose to wear red shoes. But does the church have power to, to change or contradict the word of God? What's God say? Well, God's Word says in Psalms 119, verse 160, your word is true from the beginning. And the Bible says God can never change. So we know that no church can contradict the Word of God. Tonight, as you have heard this perhaps shocking study, you might feel a little bit hurt. The Bible actually tells us in Job 5, 17 and 18... Behold, happy is the man whom God corrects. Therefore, despise not thou the chastening, or the punishment, that is, of the Almighty. For he, God, makes sore. Some of you are thinking, oh, that was a painful topic tonight. He, God, makes sore and binds up. He wounds and his hands make whole. I presented this topic some time ago in Davao. 
And there was a lady attending who was the leader of the Women's Catholic League there in Mindanao, very high-ranking Catholic official. She was coming to my seminar. And when we presented this topic that you've just heard tonight, at the door as I was greeting people after the meeting, I met the lady. I knew who she was. We had talked before. I said, Sister, I said, was that a shocking topic tonight? Oh, yes, she said, that hurt me so much. She said, but pastor, it's the truth. (laughs) It's the truth, pastor. I know it's the truth. Yes, friends, it might be painful, but it is the truth. And if you find that your heart is hurting tonight, you can go to Jesus and you can say, oh, Lord, the truth was painful tonight, but thank you for the truth. Heal my hurting heart and help me to follow truth. You can say that, right? I want to follow the truth, don't you? How many want to follow the truth? May I see your hands? There is... Well, first of oh, all... Oh, we've got John, a text. One more text. John 8, 32. Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. That is, if you follow the truth. There is hope for you, but the beast's number is 666. There is hope for you, truth and tradition. He tries to mix There is hope for you. He takes Christ's place, the Bible predicts, but there is hope in Christ for you. There is hope for you who confess your sins to God alone. There is hope for you, for your sins did Christ's blood atone. There is hope for you, just kneel in prayer before his throne. There is hope in Christ for you. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.